Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is episode 186 of the show, and today, continuing with our theme from last week, we are talking with Casey McCarty, the CEO of the Idea Foundry, and Casey's had a journey with the Idea Foundry team. She was the COO for seven years before taking over the helm as the CEO. She's got a lot of exciting plans for the maker and founder space, and we're really excited to have her here to talk about those and tell her story. So we hope you guys enjoy this episode, and as always, we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that episode, though, as usual, we got to take a quick moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus, and that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That's smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. All right, Congress, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know you have to choose it and yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we're excited to have Casey McCarty joining us, and Casey is the CEO over at the Idea Foundry. As we discussed with Alex Bandar recently, a year and a half ago, Casey took over the helm for the Idea Foundry, and she's been helping to shape the business and put a fresh spin on one of Columbus's most well-known maker and founder spaces. We're excited to have her on to talk about their strategy for the future of the Idea Foundry how the Foundry has helped revitalize Franklinton, and what the transition's been like so far. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Casey. Thank you so much for hosting. Perfect. And I think one piece that I forgot to throw in there is that you actually spent seven years as the COO for the Idea Foundry before transitioning into that CEO role. So 
been there a while, have been doing a lot for the Idea Foundry. It's exciting to have you on. I guess one of the first places we always like to start is just take a step back and talk about kind of what led you to the Idea Foundry, how you got started there, anything you know, from your childhood up until now that really stands out to you that kind of led you down this path? Sure, that's a, that's a big question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I found the Idea Foundry is a bit of a happy accident. I was just out of grad school. I had gotten what is now a very useful uh, Master's of Science in Criminal Justice and Public Policy. And it was the apex of the recession. So I was all trained up for a very academic and research-oriented role. And as you can imagine, the job prospects during a recession for that type of work are a little low. And my parents were small business owners, my grandparents were small business owners, and the ethos of being in a situation like that was, well, if you're gonna get you know, $10, $12 an hour working for someone else, you can probably pay yourself that. Um, they definitely had a much more practical attitude towards small business. You know, we hear a lot about finding your passion and what do you want to do with the rest of your life and it was a lot more about like finding something with a low barrier to market entry, um, figuring out how to set up a website and find clients and get people to pay you for your skills. And that was sort of the attitude that I approached it from just sort of create a what starts as a side hustle and uh, just sort of get your feet wet with the whole entrepreneurship. And in networking for resources for that business, uh, found the Idea Foundry back when we were on Corrugated Avenue, which is in the Milo Grogan district. And it was sort of a tool share co-op model. Different members had brought different types of tools sort of aggregated into one place. And it definitely had the vision of being a self-sustaining enterprise that would help other small businesses in the very same way. Sort of lower the barrier to market entry, provide a community, and I'd sort of <laughs> took, took that over um, and then helped lay down some of the operations behind the cat wrangling that goes on in a space like that. And then over time, we, as we became a little bit more financially secure enough to bring on private investment to relocate to our big, beautiful location right there uh, in Franklinton now that we'll talk about in a bit, I'm sure. Um, to sort of just help uh, stabilize the revenue streams that we were running and sort of create an infrastructure. And um, in the meantime, I got an MBA, went back to grad school because the sort of number of zeros that we were handling were a lot higher than I was used to for my own small business or my parents' small business. So I went back for an MBA and, um, and then about a year and a half ago took over as CEO. So talk about those early days, you know, first joining the organization, you spoke about it at a high level, but um, what was kind of going through your mind at that point? Did you have long-term aspirations where you thought, you know, maybe one day uh, I could be leading and then running this entire organization? Or what were your thoughts there? You know, I think that I've tried to maintain flexibility and serve whatever role was needed at the time. You know, when I started, there was sort of, it was being entirely bootstrapped by Alex's day job, our founder, Alex Bandar's day job. And we all sort of had a common goal of, seeing the resources like that or seeing it grow, but I don't know that we had the sort of forecast that would have suggested that we would, that a concept like ours would even be eligible for private investment, that we would even be, um, have some of the opportunities that we've had. And so uh, very fortunate to have grown very, you know, over the past 
seven years to have been able to get those opportunities, but no, I had no idea sort of what we would look like a decade in the future when I got started. Any challenges that stick out from those early days? Yeah, I mean, startup challenges are pretty, it's gonna be pretty common narrative to a lot of people, I imagine. The lack of money, the lack of uh, stable staff. Um, when we got started, we were a very volunteer-led organization, and volunteers can be great, but they also sort of come and go. They might bring their own objectives to a situation. Uh, so, so trying to run full speed and figure out how to make money with unpredictable labor and unpredictable budgets are, you know, a big startup challenge. You know, I think one of the other challenges is as you continue to grow and you start figuring those things out and putting processes in place, that also comes with its own friction. I mean, as you continue to grow and move, right, from the move to Franklinton or the move to, you know, different locations and putting in those different processes in place, did you see any of that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, unsurprisingly, our original core group was very, I want to say renegade a little bit. Like, you get the creative class that doesn't do very well with authority. They have a lot of uh, independence, sort of spiritually libertarian, I would say. And anytime that you try to put constraints um, for, even if it is in the service of the greater good, sometimes there can be friction and it's very difficult to get a lot of competing personalities moving in the same direction. There's a lot of sort of idiosyncrasies and quirks with the type of people that tend to be attracted to spaces like ours. People can be very introverted and maybe are sitting on a lot of really great ideas but have a hard time expressing them or bringing them to the table and then you have a lot more vociferous folks who maybe overshare their ideas or are a little less willing to think about how other people might want to do things. And anytime you're fusing the that kind of spectrum of ideas and creative people, uh, absolutely difficult when you start to try to funnel people through a, through a gate. And that's not a challenge that we've escaped, by the way. Like we, part of the transition from my role as CEO has been to help long-term financials stability and sustainability and some of those things meant we had to level up the professionalism some of the legal financial very technical boring parts of business that you absolutely can't afford to ignore required a lot more policies and procedures to be uh, on the books a lot more paying attention to things like margin and your product mix and pricing strategy and things like that had never really been part of our culture it was not anything that had a corporate culture it had a very clubhouse culture it had a very social culture and we wanted to be able to take the best components of that ecosystem but be able to be a sustainable business so that we could exist so talk about and maybe this relates to it directly from what you just said but the growing pains and changing strategies at the idea foundry over time you know especially the last few years um, as the space has evolved and you guys have begun to take uh, different individuals inside of the Idea Foundry. How has that come about? What does that look like today? Sure. So ours has been a business model that has effectively changed significantly, probably every two to three years, um, in terms of revenue models, products being added. So even our relocation over to Franklinton about four years ago, 
we moved the makerspace over there, which was all we had previously had, but then we built uh, that whole second floor up to add office and co-working. That was a whole new type of revenue stream, a whole new target market, a whole new client base that we weren't used to or didn't have relationships in that community. Anytime you have a, I mean, what a lovely problem to have that you're growing very fast, but every time you significantly overhaul things like your product or service mix, it sort of changes your identity in a way that's a little clumsy to have to re-explain every couple years. And, uh, you know, we end up with a community that becomes a little um, factioned where people think of it mostly as the makerspace because that's sort of our core and that's what it has existed larger. But then a newer wave of people m might only know us from renting an office there or being part of the co-working community that really hasn't ventured downstairs to the makerspace. And so marrying these very distinctive identities of customers all within a space while trying to preserve the sort of tight-knit community that we always had is an incredible challenge. It's funny to me, I mean, you mentioned ventured downstairs, but it's kind of odd how physical barriers like that can lead to stronger factionism, and strong, even in a workplace that's as open as ours, right? Well, they're on that side of the office and we're on this side of the office, and it kind of leads to a little bit of friction there in terms of just having physical space that separates people. But how have you kind of balanced the needs of both? Because it sounds like Right. One of the things I'm seeing is if you've got some people running offices and some people running makerspaces, is there's going to be some differential opinions on what they need and what they want. And how do you balance all those competing uh, ideas and motives and, and come together and bring something that, to the table that benefits everybody? Yeah, that is a process of continuous improvement. I would not claim that we are <laughs> masterful at figuring that out even as yet. But I would say over the past couple of years of having these two distinct communities, you know, it was our vision that there would be a lot more interest between the two. The initial vision was that we would have a suite of business services and people that might be helping the small businesses that we were that that existed on our makerspace side. That people might that were creating things downstairs might go upstairs for things like. Um, you know, IP or trademark law or accounting or web design or something like that. And then as it always does, the marketplace may or may not offer those people, may or may not bring them to you. And so the mix of people that we got for the co-working and the office space has been a little bit more reticent to participate in the makerspace. Sometimes because it's co-located there, we get, you know, it's sort of attractive. There's a vibrancy of sort of a robust sense of, oh, things are made here and people do cool things here, but it's sort of, um, you know, almost abstract, like the art that you have on the wall and, and people have yet to sort of appreciate that they too can participate in that, right? And you can't drag them down there and like, look at the thing, look at the thing that you can touch, do play with the tools, right? So trying to build some curiosity around the makerspace and then also facilitate so that the makers feel a little bit more comfortable going upstairs too. Um, at first, the, because the upstairs was so much cleaner, because it's not where the wood shops are, or the metal shops where they sort of felt like if they uh, ventured upstairs during sort of the nine to five day job set that they were getting looks like, who are these people that are covered in wood chips and paint flecks and 
you know, they didn't feel very comfortable there either. And I think that's sort of a lesson if we had to do differently, uh, you know, if we could do it over, we would probably pay a little bit more attention to making spaces that look recognizable in both locations for both sets of people. But since, you know, we have what we have, the best that we can do is sort of encourage certainly new people coming to our community to have overlapping interests and to certainly facilitate the type of social engagement or um, social events that allow for some cross-pollination. Hey there, Conquerors. We're going to take a quick break in the show here to tell you about one of our sponsors, Mixed Wonders. Creating a podcast is a ton of work, and a lot of heart and soul goes into your work, and that's why you want your audience to have the best listening experience possible. And that's why we work with Mixed Wonders. Mixed Wonders is an agency that helps podcasters like us get the most out of their audio. And whether you're spending four hours mixing your podcast each week, or you just can't seem to get the level of quality you want out of your audio, Mix Wonders makes it super simple to get pop star level audio at a low price. For a limited time, they are offering to mix your first episode for free. So just go to mixwonders.com, that's M-I-X-W-O-N-D-E-R-S.com to sign up for a free mix or consultation. Save time, sound professional, Mix Wonders. So talk about the revitalization of Franklinton, and obviously, you know, the idea founders played a pivotal role in that. What does that look like from your perspective um, as CEO and and C-level over the last few years, and where do you see the idea foundry playing a part in the future? Yeah, you know, I we see so much springing up in Franklinton. There's $200 million investments that have sprung up over the past year. There's one scheduled to break ground later in 2021 or 2020, right across the street from us. And when I think about what it looked like when we were coming over to see the building and just the the deadness of the neighborhood. So we were there uh, when we came over, the 400 West Rich, the group of artists and um, artisan collective, a lot of art studios and rehab tavern, and then Strongwater Tavern opened, and that, that was sort of it. And we worked crazy long hours, and we would leave at maybe 2 in the morning, and you know it was a little spooky, and you just didn't see a lot of humans. And then, of course, Franklinton has had a sort of negative reputation for safety or security over the years. And we didn't experience those type of problems. It was more just very dead and not a lot of activity. And when we worked with the Neighborhood Community Development Corporation, it was, no, it was a Franklin and Development Association at the time to relocate, it was specifically to bring some sort of sidewalk life, right? Some sort of bodies that were occupying the space in a more visible way than maybe just um, artists sort of hanging out in their studios. And we did, so we have hundreds of members. Um, we're at about 800 now, but when we, closer to the time that we moved, or maybe a year or two after we moved, I would say we were between three and 500 um, over those years. And those were 60% small business owners. So all of a sudden they had their clients that were coming to Franklinton. They had their teams that were coming to Franklinton. We, of course, teach classes. We do a lot of programming, education in the makersphere. Uh, we had students coming to Franklinton, and some of our programming is very entertainment-oriented for people who want sort of creative, casual experiences. 
And then all of a sudden we had people coming for like a date night coming to Franklinton and using the neighborhood in sort of ways that people hadn't been using that side of Franklinton for a while. Um, and then as we built out the second floor and we got some of those anchor tenants, some of those were very visible in the community, like Smart Columbus's home office was out of our second floor for their first year. That brought a lot of policymakers and politicians to Franklinton that really wouldn't have had reason to step into that neighborhood. So it became sort of a, a mix of, of people at all levels that were getting some firsthand experience with Franklinton, whereas maybe they had only heard that, you know, heard it called the bottoms or heard it's a not so safe place to be at night or, or anything like that. And so I think that we definitely helped participate in normalizing Franklinton and making that a, a cool place for small businesses and a place that was sort of demystified. Right? There are a couple taverns you can go to, and there's art that you can take in, there's small businesses that you can visit. Definitely. And so, you know, I guess a good place to start talking a little bit about what your transition has been like and how things have been for you. So you go from COO to CEO about a year and a half ago. What changed for you and how has that been shaping up over the past year and a half? Sure. This operations, I think, is sort of, um, I don't know, it's like when your organs are functioning well, right? You don't necessarily think about them that often. And, and that's good, right? Like you don't want to have to think about how the bills get paid or how classes go up online or how the website gets fixed when it breaks and, and all of those type of things, just be seamless. And moving from COO to CEO has been a struggle because you go from being very behind the scenes to being very frontman. And I was, Alex is such a good frontman. <laughs> that it was very hard to step into those shoes and to be the sort of public advocate um, for our space. And I mean, I was still running into circumstances with especially some of our second floor co-working or office members where months after I took over, I would be upstairs getting coffee or you know, having a chat with people and be like, oh, which, which uh, office do you run or what company do you run? <laughs> I'd be like, oh this one and um, I ended up moving my office upstairs so that I could sort of interact with people you know I had a really strong relationship with the makerspace members of course because they had just had seven more years to get to know me um, but I, I didn't really know the second floor tenants or co-workers nearly as much so even in terms of being visible to your own client base or your community and then of course you know it's been a stressful um, it was, any rate of change for an organization can be stressful, right? You know, we had different managing philosophies in terms of staff, and we needed to hit some better performance metrics, both revenue and you know, job performance, and, and all of this, you know, there's only a certain rate of change that is very comfortable for, for staff or for members or for an organization, and we've been pushing that rate of change just well, forever, really, but particularly over the past year. So talk about some of your short and long-term goals for the foreseeable future as you look ahead. I mean, you mentioned a little bit of it uh, throughout some of the different answers we have so, asked so far, but anything in particular that really sticks out to you that when you see yourself in the team three to five years from now, you'd be really excited about accomplishing? Sure. 
So in the short term, I mean, we really are focusing again on some of our core revenue streams, like our we're sort of retooling and rethinking the makerspace experience to make it function better for our very distinct user set, right? So we have some makers that are professionals, they run their businesses, they're furniture makers and artisans and industrial designers. Um, they run their, their professional businesses out of the shop. And then the rest of our makerspace members are a lot more casual. They're hobbyists. They're interested in having creative experiences and having um, being able to make things with their hands, but they're maybe building furniture as a side project or, or whatever else they're interested in, but they have a day job and they're happy with that day job, and this is their creative outlet. And those users have dramatically different needs in terms of what they need from tools or equipment and when they need access to the facility and what staff help they need. And because we've previously had so little to sort of work with, we've had one space that was the same experience for all of those members and to see how we can sort of create some spaces within the makerspace that are catered a little bit better to each user so they, they can get more out of it. On the pro side, you know, it can be very frustrating when professionals um, when the tools break because rookie users maybe don't know how to use them as well or um, help uptake, keep, them, keep them up as well. Um, so maybe they have a professional job and things are a little wonky because the equipment's been abused. Or for hobby users, it can be a really intimidating space to walk in there where people are building these big, glorious-looking things. It's part of the excitement, but it's also sort of intimidating. Be like, I don't know that I'm ever going to get to that level. and. You know, so we'd like to sort of redesign the makerspace experience so that it works better for both. And we also have a couple initiatives that we're launching. One we're calling Change Makers, and that's to work with small team nonprofits or social entrepreneurs uh, to give them access to discounted space or memberships, especially for the office or co-working space, uh, provide them access to our event space for their community engagement for their fundraisers or whatever else they need for that. Um, and then also mentorship. We have a hundred, because we have hundreds of small business owners, we have a lot of talent uh, who can help with sort of biz dev services. And, and in exchange, they'll help, um, you know, invigorate the community of, of our people sort of cross the, the second floor, first floor divide and, and help create some content with us. So that'll be one initiative launching here very shortly in Q1. And then the third sort of 2020 goal, we have a, um, we've been doing production, big production gigs. So um, our former shop manager, Matt Hatcher, helped build the, um, or led the project to build the Vets Memorial desk, the sort of massive curvy reception desk we've done. Uh, restaurant build-outs and all sorts of custom furniture, and that's all sort of come to us rather ad hoc from our friends at Compton Construction or via Triad Architects. And we're sort of reorganizing the production setup so that there'll be one point of sales and service con you know, contact. Um, we're teaming up with Andrew Lundberg, who's a local artist, industrial designer, uh, that will be the sort of design end of that. And then the project manager that will help gather, aggregate all of the other talents that we have in our house. So amongst our members, we have people that are good at 
lighting or electronics or maybe robotics or metalworking or fabricating or woodworking. And so there will be one human that will help get all of those people on the same project for someone. So what about, I mean, outside of the Idea Foundry, what are, what are you working on outside of the Idea Foundry? What are you thinking about, you know, from personal goals and, and objectives and other projects you're working on? Sure. Well, um, I'm kind of always, always learning. And um, I think we both, because you sort of have to, that's our industry. Our industry is lifelong learning. And so, you know, I want to be a part of that. So I've been trying to do a little bit more public speaking and do a little bit more of the uh, uncomfortable frontman stuff that I'm not as great at now. And then volunteer volunteer work. I, I'm on the board of directors for the Franklin and Urban Empowerment Lab, FUEL, that's a, the Neighborhood Community Development Corp. Uh, we work in affordable housing, which is the neighborhood becomes um, a lot more polarized in terms of income levels that becomes increasingly more imp important and so giving back and making sure that that neighborhood is approachable for a mixed income lifestyle is really important to me um, and then I'm also on the board for the Downtown Residents Association of Columbus which is a civic organization to help improve the Columbus experience for residents and small business owners okay cool well you know, I think that's a good place to kind of pivot towards our last question of the show, Casey, but it's been great having you on so far. I enjoyed talking to you. But that last question is centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, which is live uncomfortably. <laughs> and without telling you too much about why we picked that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it and how does it apply to your life and career? Sure. Um, God, I have been uncomfortable for so long, <laughs> in both in good and bad ways, right? Um, I, I think that's really the, the chance that you have for growth, right? You're not, you, comfortable moments are great. They're great for feeling sort of nurtured and supported and that you're doing everything right. But that that's great for maintenance and it's great for when you need a nice break, but uh, that's certainly not where you're best life moments come from. I mean, I was, even from getting out of grad school and being terrified that I was just not going to find anything in my line of work, and then sort of accidentally taking a career in an industry nobody's heard of and requires a lot of explaining. <laughs> What's a makerspace? No one ever knows. To changing within the company roles, you know, all of those things are are challenging. All of those things are uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to to have to turn an or pivot an organizational culture. It's uncomfortable to have to go back to grad school again because you're not quite sure uh, what you don't know in terms of law and finance and all that other good stuff that comes with running a business. Um, I mean, I'm a mom. I have two kids. One's a tween, and you know, she's about ready to crest that field where she hates me. And <laughs> and and being a sort of a boss or a community leader while raising two kids, two girls, right? And how you balance the sort of job demands and and life. It's all it's all a challenge. Yeah, I think it's a good way to put it. Life is a challenge. <laughs> that is, you know, I mean, it's the fundamental truth. I think 
That's a great answer. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us, Casey, especially on a, a Tuesday evening. So thanks so much for Thank telling you your story. Thank you for letting me talk. Yep. And Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. That was Casey McCarty, CEO over at the Idea Foundry. If you guys want to learn more about her or their team, check out all the links down in the show notes. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like. Share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus. And their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That's smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. If you could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in, in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.